You know, I've been excited about what God's been speaking these last weeks because the Lord spoke to me about a month and a half ago and he said, Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. And then, and that was the week I was preparing to start this Exodus series coming out, coming out of the world, going through the wilderness, but where are they headed? It's been a journey, even in this lesson. It's a journey in our life, but it's been, a, I'm on week seven, it's been a seven-week journey to get us here, and I'm excited because he's getting us to the mountain, getting us to his glory. There's a glory crisis in his earth, and it's not the glory that, you know, that some of Christianity has turned into chaos, God's bringing you to his mountain. God first, as we've been studying, he brings you out of the world. And we're so thankful for that day, aren't we? We're thankful for the day that he rescued us. And he didn't require anything of you, as we learned, except to just to follow him. That's it. He did it He didn't say, well, you're good and you're bad. He just took a group of people who we find out are very stubborn or are very rebellious, who don't want to follow God, right? We find that out about the children of Israel. But don't you think that God knew that when he rescued them out of Egypt? Is he surprised when all of a sudden that they're stubborn and rebellious? He knows who you are. He's going to keep giving you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity until your last breath to get over that. But his grace is always there. It was there before you began. And that actually just takes our pride and crushes it because it was never us. We never truly did anything except to follow him. We made that choice as as his church, didn't we? As Christianity, we made a choice to follow him. He rescued us. He crushed the enemy. As we see in the Exodus story, that points, right? It's a picture. It was real people. It was a real happening. It's a story today, but it was real people. But it, it points to us, but it pointed to something greater. It pointed to Christ. It pointed to the cross. It pointed to the victory of Jesus Christ on that cross. When Jesus put the enemy where he belonged, he crushed him behind you. They set their eyes on Jesus. They set their eyes ahead on God. God in front of them, and he drowned every obstacle, everything that was trying to chase him and pursue them and pull them back in. He crushed that thing behind them and brought them through, didn't he? Just as he's brought us through. And then he brings you into this place, as I preached on these last two weeks, he brings you into this place. It's the most confusing place about Christianity. We love the part about being rescued. We love being rescued by Jesus. Because it's an amazing victory and it's one that we should, it, it never gets old. We should never, ever get tired of telling people about the wonderful victory of Jesus rescuing us. He does many testimonies in our lives. If we're just, if we take a second and look, the testimonies don't stop, do they? For us as believers, it's a continuing testimony. And that's what the Bible says, that we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb, Because it's Christ's blood that did it for us and the word of our testimony. 
It was by his blood that set us, it gave us life, but then there's a testimony that just keeps growing right to the very end, right till our last breath is still a testimony of what Jesus has done in us and then ultimately through us. But this place in between called the wilderness and Christianity, the desert, we don't like this place. There's nothing really fun about it. It wasn't fun for them. It wasn't fun for Jesus in those 40 days either. When he was drawn, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. As the Bible tells us in Matthew 4, he was led, he was baptized, he was, he was ordained by God. The Spirit came from heaven. John baptized him and the Spirit of God came upon him and that Spirit that came upon him led him immediately into the wilderness, it says, to be tempted, to be tested to be tried. Why? So that when he came out, we know that Jesus came out victorious from that test as he did every test, didn't he? He came out on the other side and the devil had nothing on him. The devil, it says that he left him. He left him. Why? Because he had no entrance in him. But ultimately, what the trial, what the wilderness does, what the purpose that they, were, that they were in, the children of Israel, the purpose of the things that we go into that we don't understand, the place where we feel like we were saved and that we were on cloud, in cloud nine and we were on a honeymoon with God and then now all of a sudden it's like, where are you? It's a part about all of our faith. If you are a mature Christian, you've been through maybe more than one wilderness. It's okay. God will bring you into as many as it takes to get that junk out of you, right? Isn't that what was happening? Was that they learned, he taught them, as we read out of Deuteronomy 8, he taught them to depend upon him. One of the things he did, as we talked about last week, I'm not going to re-preach that, was that he gave them the manna. And it says in Deuteronomy 8 that the purpose of that was he said, I made you go hungry. You mean my God who loves me, loved me so much to send his only son to die for me, would make me go hungry on purpose? This is the part about Christianity that is not preached a lot, but it's a part of our faith. God is so jealous for you. He loves you so much that he will, if necessary, and it's necessary for all of us. I wish it wasn't. I just wish it wasn't, but it is because we're all stubborn. We're all like the rest of us, but he pushes us to the place where you either make the decision to follow him or go back. Lean upon yourself. I preached it last week. They knew where to go. There's, you can always go back. And the world, you ready for this line? The world will always take you back. Gladly. Gladly. They'll put you right back into the system, plug you in. They'll plug you right back in. But who knows? That when you get through, you push through, what do you find in that very place where you learn it's not my strength, it's not me? Just as every character, you can go down the line, David, Abraham, <laughs> Joseph, Jonah, I mean, you go on and on and on, Gideon. They, God pushes you. 
because we all think this is what happens. We know how to work and we know how to do. It's all from him anyway. But before we get the revelation that it's his hands actually working through you, that it's his breath in your lungs, that sometimes that, that's just a revelation that has to come. And until that fully comes, in the beginning, as we're crossing over from the world into this faith, following Christ, we're still doing with our own hands. God's not mad at you. He's not angry with you in that place, but he needs to get that out of you. And he will push you. The more ability you have, the harder he's going to push you. The more you are able to do on your own, the farther down you're going to have to go. To get you to the place it doesn't mean that, that those things aren't in you, those, the things in David, the leadership abilities, the, the warrior in him. God was going to use those things in him, but he had to get him to the place where he said, not my will. Remember, these are Jesus's words. Not my will, but your will be done. A complete and total death of you and giving God the chance to be God. And then those same things that were in you without the flesh, without the pride, without you can be used by God. So we need the wildernesses. We don't like the deserts. We don't like the wildernesses in our lives, but we need them. It is so necessary to Christianity and it's the thing that is the least Nobody is willing to go into that place. As soon as, as we read, the water starts, as soon as things don't make sense, remember what manna means? What is it? As soon as you start asking the questions, you don't understand, that's the very place, but we still call ourselves Christians, that we go back into the world and then we read these scriptures in the New Testament, scripture after scripture after scripture that say, if you're a believer, you should look like one. But then we have all these voices saying, I'm a believer. And we're going, well, not to judge the person. God, we have no idea where they are on the journey, but privately you're saying, I mean, I got a log in my own eyes, so let me deal with that first. But you certainly don't look like a believer. You look like you're someone in the world. You look like the world. You sound like the world, but you're saying God. You say this magical word, God. And I mean, <laughs> I'm sure that many of them are, but you know, the, every sports figure has got to get up there and say, thank you, God. Meanwhile, we find out in the news when one of them's arrested and one of them's murdering this one and hired someone to murder whatever, that God wasn't much a part of them after all. You guys saw in the news this lady, Kathy, Kathy uh, Griffith or Griffin, whatever, however you say her name. You guys see this thing that she did, right, with Trump and all that, right? I'm not going to get political. But um, I was listening to a thing that said at the last award she did, she said, and, and actually, I think that this is better. It's better just to be honest. She got an award for being a comedian. And, you know, and she's get, obviously, her comedy is from the devil. It's not God's comedy. It's not funny. But she said, I want you to know God had nothing to do with this. Well, she spoke the truth. I actually don't judge her for that. For the first time, somebody's actually just telling the truth. 
This disgusting lifestyle that's coming out of me and these words that are coming out of me has nothing to do with God. Thank you. You're right. Because we then get saved. I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying, listen, 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 listen. God, Jesus loves you. I said every week I'm going to say it. He loves us so much. He proved that. And that's why I just like preaching the Bible, not my opinions, because his love is right. It's true. He loves us so much, loves us so much that he tells you the truth. And the truth is that you cannot mix you and the world and your old things with God. It does not work for two reasons. Number one, it is detrimental to your own uh, life. But second, it's detrimental to the supposed light that should be shining from you. Your light's not very bright when it's mixed with the world. What you're shining to the world is that, you ready? I'm gonna give you a few quotes. Not that the world deserves any credit because they're standing on this side without Christ and then judging those in Christ. So really neither is right. But some of the things you have heard is that all Christians are hypocrites. Who's heard that before? Christians are prideful, right? Where where do those things come from? Obviously they're just as hypocritical living in the world, who I want nothing to do with God, and then looking over to those who are calling themselves Christians, there's really no difference. They're identifying themselves by saying it, but it doesn't change the fact that why do they have that ammunition? I think because too much of us is too worldly. What is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is someone who says there's something and does something different. Now, when they call you a hypocrite because you say, I love, 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 and then you come against something in society, that society is saying right, like gay marriage today, right? Society is saying that that's right. So if you have a Christian come against that in love, you just say, listen, it's not God's way. You're not condemning them. You're not hating them. And if they got a problem with that, at that point, you are not being a hypocrite. You can speak the truth. You can be truthful. And, and unfortunately, they're going to call you one for that. But that's not really the things that they call you the hypocrite for. They call you the hypocrite because there's the old saying that, you know, you put on your Sunday clothes. I'm going to mess it up. But you put on your Sunday clothes, and then they see you in the bar, you know, after the game that night. That's the hypocrite stuff that they see. And we just, I'm not, I'm not pointing my finger at anybody here. I don't know who, you know, maybe this is going out to the web. I'm just speaking what I believe the Lord wants to say. We can't mix, and and that's why he takes us through. He takes you to a place of surrender, and I love that place. You end up craving it. As you become a mature believer, you end up craving God's, as David said, I love your chastisement. I love when you punish me, because what it does is it says, wow, you're right. I'm just little man, and you're a big God. And at that moment, God can be God in your life. And that's what he's doing in us. That's what he wants to do again in this church, in this valley, in this nation, and this world. God's glory was never meant to be put out. God's glory 
it came. It came to individuals. The very, very beginning, we go to the beginning of the Bible, it came to individuals, but it was always, technically, before it even came to individuals, the Bible says as the earth was formed, that the Spirit hovered above the waters. Before the earth was even formed, His glory was already in the earth. It was already, and then he started appearing to individuals, and we find the story now where we get to Moses, and he's just about to, to create what we model, even to this day. It's really not a great model. It wasn't the perfect model, and it's what I want to speak on today, but where the tabernacle, the church started to be built, a building where you worship God. This is where it begins, right here, and as we come through Exodus, and what God's having an encounter with his people, and God's now going to be in a building. Do you know that that was never God's plan? God put himself into a building because of our, our weakness, because of our flesh, in a way that we can understand him. But he never wanted to be in a building. He never wanted to be trapped in a room. And we know that because Jesus has proved that to us. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me start in Exodus here. I'm just going to keep going and keep talking. Jesus taught us total surrender. And it's something that the people of Israel didn't get. But it's when you come and rest. Jesus said, come all who labor and I will give you rest. Jesus is saying the same exact thing. New Testament. Come on. Don't give me that Old Testament, New Testament line. New Testament, Jesus is saying the same thing that God was trying to do in the wilderness. Stop laboring and rest. Just surrender to me. And don't try to help me do it. I don't need your help. I just need surrender. And then I'll use you greatly. It says that they were led into this place and they had gone through it, they had been through it. And once they realize that God is God and we are man, then we can be trusted to carry his power. It's honestly only in that place. If he put his glory and his power into us, and I, actually I've said this at some point in the last year, it's, I'm remembering it. If he puts it into you when there's too much world in you, then, then what comes out of you will be power of God mixed with flesh. And the Bible tells us that flesh breeds flesh. Spirit breeds spirit. We start giving the power of God out mixed with flesh. You got something demonic going on. And you've seen that, right? Without any examples, you guys can... You guys have seen those things in, even in our lifetime. But it says that they came to this place, the mountain. God had done the preparation, and, and it actually what's interesting is it's a 40-year time that they were in the wilderness. But right now it had only been two months. The very beginning of the third month, it says in Exodus chapter 19, verse 3, it says that Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. 
announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and you know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. See, there's, there it is right there in the verses. He brought you out and brought you to himself. Verse 5, now if you will obey me. God's about to make a covenant with his people. And he said, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples of, on earth, for all the earth belongs to me. You know what? We should just read that. Except instead of me, I'm going to say God. Ready? For all the earth belongs to God. Sometimes we just need to say that. Sometimes we forget. <laughs> right? We forget that all the earth belongs to God. And we said that during worship. He knows what he's doing. It doesn't make sense. I say sometimes, I mean, I shouldn't say sometimes. It's most of the time, it's not going to make sense to your mind. But God knows what he's doing. And he said in verse 6, you will be a kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded him. And all the people responded together, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. Verse 11. Be sure they are ready on the third day, for on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai as all the people watch. Verse 16. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed, and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn, and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. And that's key. I want you to notice that right there. It says that they stood at the foot of the mountain. And all of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God thundered his reply. Verse 20, the Lord came down on the top. Now listen, it said that they stood at the foot of the mountain, and that verse 20, the Lord came down on the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses, what does it say? To the top. Why to the top? Because that's where the Lord is. The people were standing at the foot of the mountain. God came down upon the top of the mountain and he called Moses up. So Moses climbed the mountain. It says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 18, that when the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, it says that they 
stood at a distance. When all this is happening at the foot of the mountain, it says that they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. But actually, the more proper English, I looked this up looking at these Hebrew words, it means that they removed. They stood afar. It says in verse 20, Moses responds, Don't be afraid, Moses answered them, for God has come in this way to test you, and so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. But in verse 21, it says, As the people stood in the distance, verse 21, the people stood in the distance. Again, it says that they stood afar off. But it says that as they stood in the distance, Moses approached or Moses drew near. If you are trusting God and He has freed you and you're coming through your journey, Many times we come and we need to all come to this place. See, all of these are pictures. The Old Testament stories are not just sweet little Sunday school stories. That's fine that we convert them in a way that they can understand, but this is real life. And these are things that us as believers, right here, right now, we need to understand. He didn't preserve it for no reason. If he didn't want it preserved in us reading it today, he wouldn't have. But it's here for a reason, because he's teaching us some things. What happens is, is God is not looking just to free you. A lot of Christianity, they stop there. I've been freed by Christ, now give me my hands back, I'm going to do my own thing, right? I beat that dead horse. Then others, they get into the wilderness, and they get into the struggling, and they, it seems like they never leave. They never finish dealing with those things. You were never meant to be in Egypt in the world. God freed you from that. You were also never meant to stay in the place of struggle and trial and testing. Jesus didn't stay there. He came down off that journey, off that trial, right? After 40 days, had finished that thing and went on to do what God called him to do, created him for, or put him in a human body for, rather. But what happens is, is we absolutely need at this point, right in the midst of your trial, you're struggling, you're wondering, the place where he's working that out of you, getting settled at that place, you need to start seeking his face. But it's no coincidence that this is roughly 3,000-ish years ago that people here were just like we can be. We stand back from God. We want Him to free us. We, we don't understand everything. We want you to be God. But at this very place is the moment that we need to draw near. We need to draw near to him. It says that they told Moses, you seek God for us. 
You seek God for us. We're going to stand here at a distance. You just, when we're thirsty, you're going to speak to a rock, hit a rock, whatever you're going to do. I don't care how you do it, Moses. I don't care how you do it. Just when I'm thirsty, I want to drink. And if I don't get one, I'm going to complain. And when I'm hungry, you better feed me. But don't ask me to seek God myself. And what was the problem? What was the problem by not seeking God themselves? When Moses went up on the mountain, what did he get from God? He went into the glory. He went into God's presence. But what did God give him in his presence? He gave him the law. Don't say, Pastor, oh, God's freed me from the law. Don't go there yet because I got you cornered. He gave him the law in his presence. Right in the midst of the place of total surrender because I don't know what you're doing, God. I surrender, right? In that place. Remember, Moses is right there with the people. He's right there on this journey with them. He could have complained and murmured again and again and again. He does sometimes and then comes back. He even fends for them, right? Later on, they complain and Moses and Aaron, they drop to their faces and stand in the gap between God and the people. Doesn't mean that he never complained as we can see the scriptures, but he decided, I'm going to draw near to God. I'm not afraid. In fact, what that actually means is, he said, I don't want you to have, it, it's funny in the English, it just, and I looked at all the different translations, pretty much all of them say fear and fear. He said, don't be afraid to fear of the Lord, right? It's a funny thing. But what he's saying is the better translation in the English is don't have fear like you can't come to God. You, you're, you, you don't know how to get to him. You're afraid of him. He's, he's, you just want his stuff and, and you don't want to deal with like him dealing with you. You don't want to get into his presence where he starts dealing with things in you, right? But he said, have fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is not I'm afraid of God. It's a place where you come to reverence. It's holiness. God, you're holy. And you realize that place. And as soon as you realize how holy God is, something inside you causes reverence. Something inside you causes you to, as God has already humbled, I taught in the last weeks that God humbles you on his own. He does it. And he gets you to the place where you humble yourself. After he has humbled you, you humble yourself. And you don't have to do that. God will humble you, but you don't have to humble yourself. You don't have to seek God's face. You don't have to. God does not make us seek Him. He doesn't make you come to the top. Now, technically, the people, because of sin, because of Christ's blood not finished yet, the people weren't actually even... Uh, allowed to go any higher than this place, but they definitely were not told to, to draw back. There was a place, a line that they could go to, and they didn't like that place. They didn't want to be too close to his presence. But the Bible tells us, it tells us in 2 Corinthians 3, it says in verse 3, clearly you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. 
This letter is written not with pen and ink. This is Paul writing to the church, and he's telling them, man, you are a living epistle. You're a living gospel. And it's because the spirit of the living God is in you. It's not carved on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. Where does God start carving on your heart? Where does he carve on stone in his presence? He, doesn't, he didn't free you from the world and bring you into a trial to watch you suffer. He brought you out to come into his presence. And if we don't come into his presence, you've just got religion. See, the law without it written on your heart, is just a book. The Bible's just a book. It's just religion. It's tedious. It's hard to follow. It's burdensome. It's hard to commit to. And it makes you feel like you're missing out. Who's had an encounter of God's presence at some point in your walk? Who could ever go back to the world after that? We need to live in his presence. That's what God drew them out. This journey, the whole point of taking you and freeing you is not to free you and say, see ya. And I know I say that all the time. I know that's like, you know, it's funny. We all, every preacher's got his own things. Like we preach all different things, but there's a few things you're always gonna hear out of their mouth. And one of those things out of my mouth is that Jesus is not a drive through he didn't free you, so you can do whatever you want. And then you could argue, well, then I'm not really free. Well, that's fine if you want to say that, because technically the Bible said you were a slave to the world, but now we choose to become slaves to Christ. So let's just get over the fact that you're not free. You are not free as a Christian. You're free. Ready? I want you to say this out loud so we get this. I'm free from sin. I'm free from the world. I'm free from death. I'm not free from doing what God says. The only way you'll actually do what he says, though, without being so hard, is when you've come into his presence. It was always meant to be us walking with him. Adam and Eve walked with God. And this whole thing, what Moses is, what this thing is just starting to point to is going to be Jesus. And Jesus, this letter that he's writing here in Corinthians is post-Christ victory. It says in verse 7 that the old way... And this is, my, this is the point. If you get one thing in these next few minutes to close, if you get this, this is the sermon. If you do it the old way, if you don't do it living in his presence and the world just starts flying off of you, you don't even have to try. You get into his presence and you stay there. How do you do that, Pastor? It's not religious by reading the word, but you read that word like it's real like your life depends on it. You gather around other believers as if you can't do it on your own. 
Once we come to that realization, you become a church. We become brothers and sisters linked, and you cannot separate that. If you do it the old way, verse 7, with laws etched in stone, if it's just a Bible, if it's a church that's a building over there, if it's a place you go, if God is something that you do on Sundays, it's not going to work. It's His presence. And ultimately... His presence is trying to come back out of us. And we can read that here. It said that it, even though in verse 7 it led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. The Bible tells us that when Moses has this encounter with God and the law is handed to him on tablets of stone, But Moses is not carrying tablets of stone. It's written on his heart because he's been in the presence of God. He's bringing it to the people. And a Christian can come into a church, and I'm not saying that this is is you guys, but I could bring you instructions. I can bring you the law from his presence. And you can actually follow those things. You could technically, but without his presence, you're just going to be trying to follow instructions. But Moses had an encounter with God. Moses had it written on his his heart. And when he comes down from God's presence, it says in verse 7, that his face literally shone with the glory of God. You put his law, you write it on your hearts, you get into his presence, and you don't have to try to look like a Christian. They may still call you hypocrites because they don't want to deal with the sin in their life. And don't worry about that. But the Bible tells us, I can't remember the scripture, I think it's Paul or Peter says, but don't give them reason to accuse you. If it's a, a scripture thing, that's between them and God. But if there's a reason in you, a world thing that you shouldn't be doing or shouldn't be shining, that's something that God says he's going to judge us for. But it says that his face shone. But even that, even though this was such an amazing encounter, it says that this was an old way. This is not the best way. It says in verse 8, shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way? Who's living in the new way? That's us. That's the church. That's us now, it says, because the Holy Spirit is giving life. Verse 9, if the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, the first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much, I know this is repetitive, but it needs to be said, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? And since this new way, which gives us such confidence, this is the, this is the key, church. You don't need to come to a building. The reason that we come together is there's something special about worshiping Him corporately together as a group. There's something special about having to rub iron upon iron. We have to deal with each other and we're helping each other. Hey, I was thinking this. I know this is a little tough, but this is what the Lord was showing me. You say, you're right. I need to deal with that. And it should be that with each other. It's not judgment. It's fluid. It's very easy. But you are not coming here 
to be a Christian. You don't come to church to be a Christian. You are a believer carrying his presence who comes together, together, presence, 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 and then God's presence is here. We're crying out, and I love the songs. Don't, don't think I don't. The songs that cry out, Lord, for your presence, all that you would come. But I'm telling you, I got this revelation weeks ago. His presence will show up here. And this is not a burden thing. I'm not saying we're not his people today because we don't have an emotional experience. His presence is here. But it will come greater and greater and greater and greater when we bring it. You need to bring it. You bring his presence. Because the Bible says that Moses had to go to the top of a mountain because God said, I came upon the top, and the people, they wanted to stay down there. They don't want to be too close to me. They want all my stuff. They want me to take care of them, but they don't want to be close to me. But Moses came up to him. But the greater way is that Jesus came down from the mountain right to you and then wrote it. It says that he wrote it. Hebrews 8.10 it says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. It says, go back to verse 12 in 1 Corinthians 3 and I'll close with this. It says that since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold we should be coming before God boldly, proud. Not pride like the world, but proud to be with God. Proud that we get that he has done so much that I get, I get, it's something that I get to do. You don't have to welcome me and you did. Without me being good, you welcomed me in. It's such a privilege to seek God's face. It's a privilege to come into his presence. And he gave it to us freely. And it says in verse 13, listen, we are not like Moses. Moses is somebody that I would think we should be, the Bible should say, idolize Moses. Man, if there's somebody in the Old Testament to idolize who actually saw him, spent time with him, and had an encounter with him, and came back with his glory into the world, but it says, we are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory even though it was destined to fade away. It says in verse 14, but the people's minds were hardened and to this day whenever the old covenant is being read, that same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. This veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Verse 15, yes, even today when Moses is writing, they're when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. Verse 16, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, who has turned to the Lord? It says, when you turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And you as a mature Christian know that this is twofold. It wasn't just Moses' veil that covered the glory, but because of our sin, because of that separation between us and God. God took that glory that he let hit one person's face. Moses was like nobody else in the Old Testament. Nobody. 
Nobody had the glory like that. There were prophets and there were warriors, but nobody had carried God's glory upon their face. But because of the separation and because of the rejection and the rebellion, God still made a way, but it wasn't a perfect way. He took that glory that was supposed to be carried on us and in us, and he put it in a room, the most holy of holies, and he put it inside of this building, this, this, what we would say, if you'd looked at that in the Old Testament, that's a church. But Jesus is trying to break out. He's been put in the walls. He's been put in there, and he's not supposed to be in there anymore. The Bible says that when Jesus died on that cross, an earthquake came, remember? And the veil was torn from top to bottom that separated the presence of God from the people. We are free to come to him through the blood of Christ. Your sin, right, has been removed. And that's why he's taken us out. He's taken us through and he's getting you to his glory. So for the Lord, verse 17, is the spirit. And whenever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And verse 18 to close this verse. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see. First of all, you can see. But secondly, and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us. You don't have to try. I'm going to say that like a broken record. But you have to get in His presence. Don't quote me and say, my pastor said, I don't have to try to be a Christian. And then go hang out in the world and do the world's things. And don't look at your Bible. I'm not saying read it like religion, but don't see what maybe God preserved for thousands of years on purpose that he might want to tell us. Don't go to church. Don't quote me and say, you don't have to try then. You seek his face, you get around him, and you don't have to try to be a Christian. The only thing you need to do is seek him. You get close to him. You get in that word, and this is what happens. The Bible says, it says that he will make us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Let's stand and pray. God, we thank you. Let's every hand raised in this place. I just want you to pray this prayer out loud with me, okay? Lord, today, I surrender again. And again. And again. I'm going to keep surrendering until the very end. Just as Jesus did. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. Thank you, Lord, that my sin has been washed away that I'm free, that I'm yours, but I'm willingly enslaving myself to you. I want to be with you, to walk with you, and to shine for you. In Jesus' name, amen.